The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. Trump gives Democrats a timely gift. This is Thursday, March 28th, 2019. Thank you for supporting independent news by patronizing my sponsors and through the PayPal donate button at buzzburbank.com. The news in a nutshell, while we're being told to get past the Russia investigation, an emboldened president is moving to cut education funding, take money from the military to build his wall, cut off hurricane relief to Puerto Rico, and as an added surprise, take affordable health care away from half the country. More than 130 million Americans have pre-existing medical conditions, and that's just the people under the age of 65. Without the Affordable Care Act, which the Trump administration is now asking courts to kill, insurance companies would no longer be required to cover you, and companies that agree to provide coverage can charge whatever they want for it. Insurance costs would skyrocket, become unaffordable for half the country, and 20 million Americans would lose their health coverage entirely. Not an exaggeration, some Americans will go bankrupt as they try to pay big medical bills. And some will die. Feeling emboldened by what he believes is vindication, the president went straight to work on his agenda. Having already erased much of Obama's work, especially on the environment, Trump has returned to the one that bears his predecessor's name, Obamacare. That's a name created by Trump's own party to demonize the Affordable Care Act that provided coverage for millions of Americans who couldn't get or couldn't afford health insurance. It was also revenge against the dead John McCain, whose thumbs-down vote on the Trumpublican bill to kill Obamacare continues to haunt this president. If the courts Trump is stacking with conservative judges back him up and with no replacement plan, the insurance market, the health care system, and the country itself would be hurled into chaos. One analyst compared it to abolishing the U.S. interstate highway system without a plan B. Without a replacement plan, Trump is again failing to deliver his campaign promise of cheaper, better health care. Instead, he's hurling the system into chaos, and for all the wrong reasons, because of the Russia probe, a perception of vindication, and revenge on McCain and Obama and Democrats. It's a dramatic reversal, even for this administration, which had been arguing that Obamacare could stay so long as the requirement for pre-existing conditions coverage be dropped. White House counsel advised against this reversal, as did Vice President Mike Pence, who worried about the politics, the optics of this, what with no replacement plan. Attorney General William Barr also objected, we are told. But on orders from the boss, this major policy reversal was ordered into play by the attorney general who had just taken it upon himself to declare the boss exonerated of conspiring with Russia within a month of landing his job. Barr ordered federal prosecutors to switch sides in a lawsuit against Obamacare to agree with the litigants that the law is unconstitutional and must be stopped immediately, safety net or not. Most courts have upheld the Affordable Care Act, but a far-right Texas judge recently declared that without that pre-existing conditions part, the whole law was unconstitutional. Conveniently, just before that, congressional Republicans had defunded the pre-existing condition coverage by reducing the tax penalty for not having health insurance. During the midterm campaign last fall, the Trump administration promised repeatedly to protect people with pre-existing conditions. That's off now. 
The Trump administration has decided to run with that Texas judge's ruling and use it in federal appeals court to kill Obamacare. Next stop, the U.S. Supreme Court, which now carries a solid conservative majority, and its two newest members were appointed by Trump. Arguing to keep the law, 21 Democratic-led states led by California. The Supreme Court ruled in favor of Obamacare in 2012, but will this Supreme Court do the same? All eyes will again be on Chief Justice John Roberts. Trump's latest move on health care has given Democrats and progressives a gift. The motivational boost they needed for 2020 just when they needed it. Trump's latest attempt to kill Obamacare once and for all with nothing to replace it is likely political suicide for him and for every Republican who follows him over that cliff. The president has declared that the Republican Party will soon be known as the party of health care. More likely, it will be the party killed by its opposition to health care. In response to Trump's plans, House Democrats are already working on ways to improve and strengthen Obamacare with the enthusiastic support of Nancy Pelosi. Affordable health care is something Democrats can campaign on that won't alienate voters, and that's an incredible, timely gift that's just been handed them by a president made confident by what he believes is exoneration. Nearly twice as many Americans are concerned about health care as are about immigration. Health care is the number one issue among everyday Americans. Republicans have tried for 10 years to kill Obamacare. Over that time, Obamacare became more popular, more popular than Republicans, according to several polls. And the Republican opposition to it led to their own defeat in the midterms as Democrats ran on that very issue. Those now-elected congressional Democrats are now working to deliver their promises. Democrats once on the defense on health care are now on the offense, and the poll numbers are in their favor, with nearly 6 in 10 Americans having more health care faith in them than in Republicans. Health care is now issue number one for Democrats on Capitol Hill and for the Democrats running against Trump for 2020, some of them arguing that health care is something Americans have a right to have. It's a gift. An incredible gift from him. By the way, a federal judge in Washington has blocked the Trump administration's plans to require poor people on Medicaid to work in order to keep getting their health care. It's the second time the plan implemented in Kentucky has been struck down, as have now the work care rules in Arkansas. These rulings could lead to the blocking of Trump's plan now to rip health care away from more than one and a half million Americans. Trump Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, meanwhile, has asked Congress to cut the education budget by billions of dollars. Instead, with her background in and preference for private schools, DeVos wants to use tax money to cover scholarships for private schools. She also wants to cut all of the $18 million the Education Department spends co-sponsoring the Special Olympics. In so doing, the DeVos budget cuts spending for more than a quarter million American kids. DeVos is asking for $8.5 billion in budget cuts, cutting education spending by 12%. Democrats call the DeVos budget appalling, cruel, and reckless. California Congresswoman Barbara Lee told DeVos, I can't understand why you would go after disabled children. Even a Republican on the subcommittee listening to DeVos called some of her budget cuts short-sighted. He doesn't want another single dollar going to the island. Those are the words of a senior White House official to the Washington Post on the subject of hurricane relief for the part of the United States known as Puerto Rico. 
Trump has been looking for ways to cut off all hurricane relief to an island still devastated, thanks to a response much lamer than the hurricane responses in mainland states. And it comes just as Congress has missed a deadline to keep funding hurricane relief food stamps for nearly half that U.S. territory's population. There is now a serious bipartisan move afoot in Congress to improve the U.S. territory's lot in life by making it our 51st state. Meanwhile, an angry and emboldened president wants to cut off all hurricane aid for those American citizens, except for whatever's needed to get the rest of the lights back on. He says we've already spent too much money on Puerto Rico. And as Trump holds tightly to those dimes, the dollars fly out the window. Once a top concern of Republicans, the Trump administration took the federal deficit to new heights in February, setting an infamous record. Government spending increased 8%, while income for this country fell 7%. The deficit has grown by a jaw-dropping 39% in the past year, mostly because of the Trump publican tax changes. Thanks to those changes, corporations are paying $92 billion less in taxes. The new deficit tally is $234 billion a month. That's the deficit. February's was the biggest deficit in American history. The government spent over $400 billion in February and took in $167 billion. The level of happiness in America has never fallen so low. One of our most respected, longest-lasting public opinion research groups is called General Social Survey. Since 1976, when people didn't seem very happy, they have asked Americans to categorize themselves as either pretty happy or not too happy. They track the trends on a scale from one to three, three being the happier end. Since 76, we have hovered in the twos. It was 2.2 when the tracking began. We were down. We were at our relative happiest when we entered the 90s, but that trend has been downward ever since. American happiness has now fallen to 2.1%, lower than where we started and the lowest we've ever seen. And so it was declared across the land that the Trump campaign had been cleared of conspiracy with Russia by special counsel Robert Mueller. That's not what happened. But that notion was embraced by the right, of course, and a bit surprisingly also widely accepted by the news media, which failed to underscore that none of us have actually seen the report only one man's take on it, and therefore we don't know what the Mueller report actually says. And the decision not to charge the president with obstruction was not Robert Mueller's decision. Mueller declined to make a decision. He also did not say who should. In both the Watergate and Lewinsky scandals, the report went to Congress, not to the Attorney General. Attorney General William Barr, who auditioned for his job by writing an unsolicited memo to the Justice Department that criticized the investigation and argued a president cannot be charged with obstruction, took it upon himself to decide that the president had not committed a chargeable crime, even though Barr admitted the president was not exonerated of obstruction. Months after writing that memo, Barr was Trump's attorney general, the man who would receive the Mueller report and decide how much of it to release. Mueller handed that report to Barr last Friday. Barr sent his summary to Congress on Sunday. After 19 lawyers and 40 FBI agents, spent nearly two years collecting testimony and hundreds of documents and interviewing 500 witnesses and issuing 2,800 subpoenas and getting 500 search warrants and making arrests and getting 34 guilty pleas and plea deals and convictions and getting the cooperation of more than a dozen foreign governments. All we have seen is a three-and-a-half-page letter from William Barr. 
We have not seen the actual Mueller report, which is reportedly some 700 pages long. And all we know about an obstruction case, such as the one that brought down Richard Nixon, is what William Barr has told us. The only man to see the evidence for and against charging the president with obstruction was a man chosen by the president after he had declared it impossible for a president to commit obstruction of justice. Within 48 hours of receiving Robert Mueller's report, Attorney General William Barr had reached his conclusion that the man who got him his job had not obstructed justice. And he did not say how or why he reached that conclusion. And yet it was declared across the land that Mueller had concluded no collusion and no obstruction. But it's not true. We don't know what Mueller said. Outside the special counsel's office, only two people, to our knowledge, have seen the Mueller report. The letter submitted to Congress by William Barr does not erase or even explain the very real story that's unfolded over the last two and a half years. What little we've been told about the Mueller report indicates the special prosecutor could not find sufficient prosecutable proof that the 2016 Trump campaign coordinated with Russia. It cannot be said, however, that Mueller failed to find any evidence. It can safely be presumed in that 700 pages he found a lot of evidence. For now, we are told Mueller failed to find the kind of evidence that would result in a conviction. There was no smoking gun for the alleged conspiracy, but that does not mean there was no coordination. The widespread public evidence of obstruction, meanwhile, was deemed by the Attorney General, not by Mueller, to also be insufficient in terms of winning a jury. We are told there was no single smoking gun on obstruction, but that doesn't mean there was no obstruction. Both conspiracy and obstruction are among the most difficult cases for prosecutors to win, which is why prosecutors don't charge when they don't believe a jury will convict. And Mueller's investigation, despite what you've heard, was actually quite limited in its scope. He had to answer just two questions and two questions alone, with the option of investigating related crimes. Did Russia interfere? Did the Trump campaign help? And then he also answered the bonus question of whether the president obstructed the investigation. Mueller carefully colored inside the lines, handing off a dozen other investigations to U.S. attorneys who can pursue them more freely and more aggressively. There may even be investigations we've not heard mentioned because most investigations are by their nature conducted in secret. Despite the drama of this past weekend, nothing has changed. The president is still individual one in an investigation of an illegal campaign contribution. Investigations continue into foreign influence peddling through his inauguration. Court cases proceed on whether Trump's violated the Constitution by accepting payments, including from foreign entities, while serving as president. And so many unanswered questions remain that contain the words Trump and Russia. Questions remain about why Trump lied to voters that he had no business dealings in Russia while he was pursuing a business deal with Russia. If there was no coordination with Russia, why did one Trump advisor after another lie about their contacts with Russia? Contact between a transition team and Russia is not illegal, so why did they all lie about it? Shouldn't we know? Shouldn't we have an explanation of why Trump is the only president to keep even interpreters out of his handful of private meetings with Vladimir Putin? Questions remain about Trump's praise of Vladimir Putin, his resistance to sanctions on Russia, and the placing of his intelligence trust in Putin over the U.S. intelligence community. Questions remain about the Trump Tower meeting with Russians Don Jr. was so eager to have 
that was also the subject of misleading statements by the president. Shouldn't we know why the GOP platform in 2016 went soft on Russia only because of the insistence of the Trump campaign? American voters and taxpayers have a right to know why Deutsche Bank, with its reputation for laundering Russian money, was the only bank in New York willing to risk loan after loan to Trump's business. And most of all, Americans have the right to know why their president has done nothing to resist or retaliate against a Russian attack on democracy. Apparently because Trump fears it will delegitimize his election victory. That attack should be the foremost concern of us all, starting with the president. The president continues to face a host of legal challenges, personal, professional, and political, and they have very real potential consequences from which the president and his associates will not be immune. Those who've said Attorney General Barr's letter poses more questions than it answers are correct. But those who celebrate or despair what we've heard and read about the Mueller report so far should perhaps remember the dozen other investigations that were set into motion by the Mueller team. Both celebrants and despondents especially need to remember, we have not seen the Mueller report. If Republicans want Democrats to move past this, if they want everyone to move past this, Americans need to see that report and not have it burned, as California Republican Congressman Devin Nunes has proposed. Democrats now face the delicate challenge of meeting their constitutional obligation in Congress to provide oversight without alienating increasingly skeptical voters who are now living under this cloud of belief that there was no collusion. And Democrats have to do that while Democratic presidential and senatorial hopefuls focus on health care, taxes, and income fairness. Republicans continue to run the risk of having backed the wrong horse. Meanwhile, Republicans have put everything on that horse, and if the horse goes down, the party goes with it. Whatever the Mueller report is or is not, this is not over, as much as we all wish it were. While there may or may not be a smoking gun, a distinct and powerful aroma of gun smoke still hangs in the air. There is only one way to clear the smoke, or find that gun, release as much of the Mueller report as the law and common sense allow. The Mueller investigation now ended is, as always, as important as it is divisive. And it was not a waste. It more than paid for itself with the money it recovered from Paul Manafort. And more than three dozen people and companies were indicted or pled guilty, among them more than two dozen Russians. Six are former key advisors to Donald Trump, the campaign chair and his deputy, Paul Manafort and Rick Gates, Trump's first national security advisor, Mike Flynn, his longtime fix-it lawyer, Michael Cohen, and his longtime political advisor, Roger Stone. For a nothing burger, it sure has a lot of ingredients. You did not imagine Russian interference. It's been proven. You did not make up the Trump Tower meeting. It's been documented. You did not hear incorrectly when Trump asked Russia to steal Clinton's emails. You did not have a drug-induced dream about a guy named Konstantin Kalimnik. It all happened, all of it, and more. Quoting Congressman Adam Schiff, undoubtedly there is collusion. Schiff's Republican colleagues are now trying to get him thrown out of the House Intelligence Committee he chairs, saying he's too biased against the president to be there, despite the pro-Trump prejudice of his Republican predecessor. And despite the high fives and accusations from Trump and his supporters, the investigations are not over. 
The Mueller report may be finished, but the Mueller investigation has not ended. The Mueller grand jury is said to be still robustly in operation, currently on another case that stemmed from the Mueller probe that keeps on giving. Robustly in operation, said a government lawyer in court yesterday. And Mueller is also expected to hand off investigations to other prosecutors, including that of Mike Flynn, Roger Stone, a group of Russian oligarchs, and a group of agents from Russia's military intelligence, in addition to nearly a dozen cases Mueller's already handed off, including the Manafort case. The Mueller grand jury remains in existence for up to five more months. The president is not exonerated, as he and his supporters and Fox News and, disappointingly, a lot of major news outlets have reported. Barr quotes Mueller as writing, While this report does not conclude the president committed a crime, it also does not exonerate him. Repeat, does not exonerate him. In the midst of all the news stories and opinion pieces about the Mueller report, we still haven't seen it. And a majority of Americans are dissatisfied with that. 87% of us want to see that report, including 80% of Republicans. A new CNN poll shows 56% of us do not think the campaign or the president have been exonerated from collusion. A majority think Mueller did a good job. Most think Trump tried to interfere with the election, 53% according to a Fox News poll, in fact. Most of us feel the investigation should not end, and nearly 6 in 10 say Congress should forge ahead with its investigations. The survey also shows that no matter what the Mueller report says, no minds will be changed by it among voters. House Democrats are demanding the Attorney General release to them the complete, unredacted Mueller report by Tuesday. The Justice Department doesn't typically release such material, but it did when Devin Nunes chaired the House Intelligence Committee and when his Republicans led that majority. And while a possibly long and ugly court battle simmers between the administration and Congress over that, House Committee chairmen say they're ready to call for testimony the one man who can answer nearly all, Special Counsel Robert Mueller. Democratic leaders Pelosi in the House, Schumer in the Senate say Barr's letter raises as many questions as it answers. To get those answers, the Democrat-led House Committee chairs are considering calling Barr to testify in addition to Mueller. Barr now says he will testify, and sooner rather than later, possibly to be followed by Robert Mueller, but Barr says he still does not plan to release the entire unredacted report. In fact, he's sending it to the White House first for its redactions. Most of all, Democrats want to see the Mueller report, all of it, and all of the evidence it gathered to support Mueller's findings. Even Trump said he'd be okay with the public release of the report, which his attorney general has not done. Trump had repeatedly said he wanted an attorney general to protect him, the way he believes Eric Holder protected Barack Obama. The full House voted recently to make the report public. The vote was 420 to 0, Republicans joining Democrats for that unanimous vote. Over in the Republican-controlled Senate, meanwhile, leader Mitch McConnell blocked a vote on making the report public. He says Barr needs time to redact the report first. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer wonders what might be hidden or covered up, especially from a biased attorney general, saying the American people, quote, can read the report for themselves and draw their own conclusions. Judiciary Committee member Jamie Raskin explained it very well. 
The job of the special counsel, he said, is very different than our job. They're looking for specific statutory offenses and a quantum of evidence that surpasses beyond a reasonable doubt. That's very different from what we're looking for in terms of examining threats to the political sovereignty of the United States. The unexplained relationship between Trump and Russia is not the only question that's being investigated. Even assuming that the Russia probe really is a bizarrely coincidental dead end, this president still faces more legal jeopardy than all other presidents combined. It is in this scenario that Trump and his Republican Party have gone on the offensive against Democrats and the free press. Anyone, he said, who pursued the Russia conspiracy threads are, quote, treasonous and that they have done, quote, evil things. These were not the words of a politicking Trump. A New York Times reporter who was present describes the president as his, quote, grim-faced and simmering with anger when he declared those who had pursued the Russia story will be investigated. Those people will certainly be looked at, said Trump, adding, I've been looking at them for a long time. They've done many evil things. And in that same brush with the reporters, Trump answered yes when asked if he thought Mueller had acted honorably. Of course, the president had not seen the Mueller report. He had only heard Barr's take on it like the rest of us. And now that he thinks he's exonerated, he likes Robert Mueller, whose integrity and work has been under relentless attack by the president for two years, who's been chipping away at Mueller's credibility. Now, Trump wants revenge trying to turn the investigation tables on Democrats and the media for the treasonous things he believes they've done for what he called an illegal takedown. Grim-faced and simmering with anger. Trump will hold his first campaign rally today in Michigan in which he's expected to continue his attack on law enforcement in the belief the Mueller investigation was the work of, in his words, bad cops. The media is certainly taking a beating over its coverage of the Russia story and for, like many people, putting too much stock in just Mueller. Again, based on a report we have not seen. The consequences of this narrative are chilling. Quoting former White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer, we will hold every fake news media liar accountable. Current Press Secretary Sarah Sanders could not contain her glee she said the media and Democrats owe an apology to the American people and to the president. She said America has looked forward to this day for a long time as she too declared treason. To accuse a president of being an agent for a foreign government, she said, is, quote, equal to treason, which is punishable by death in this country. Trump and Sanders were turning up the heat in their attacks on the media, now incorporating the words treason and death. They are using this moment to ratchet up hostility to the press and toward Democrats, and they are running with that. Republican Senate Judiciary Chairman Lindsey Graham says he plans an aggressive investigation into the entire Russia investigation. Trump's even asking Attorney General William Barr to appoint a special counsel to investigate surveillance and the Steele dossier that did not start the Russia investigation. The Trump publican strategy is to try to turn the tables and to get revenge for the investigation they argue was a witch hunt and a hoax. And that's why some leading Democrats are urging their party to move past the Mueller report and focus on Trump's policy failures, broken campaign promises, his tax breaks for the rich, and his renewed attack on health care. Mayor Pete Buttigieg rocketed into the leader pack this past week among Democratic presidential hopefuls. 
Buttigieg says he hopes that disappointment in the Mueller report, quote, motivates us to stay focused on the issues that really impact our lives every day. Buttigieg says in 2016, it was too much about Trump, and it left a lot of people saying, okay, but nobody's talking about me. None of the Democrats in the primary race so far are talking about impeachment, even as Democrats in Congress still quietly are. The candidates are rarely even asked about Russia anymore. It appears the country has moved on from that concern. And there is an argument that from a political standpoint, Democrats in Congress should too, that they should focus more on keeping Trump from winning again in 2020 than on how he got elected in the first place. Most Democrats in Congress, however, argue that they can walk and chew gum at the same time, that they can uphold their oversight duties while campaigning on health care, taxes, and immigration. It will, however, be a balancing act. Do not take your eyes off the high wire. Salon.com's Bob Seska isn't taking his eyes off what he sees as an administration that's all about the cover-up. Bob? Thank you, Buzz. Whenever I talk about the White House staff, I always reference back to Aaron Sorkin's The West Wing, along with the staff of characters who populated the poorly lit cubicles surrounding the Oval Office. For my money, one of the most fascinating leads in that series was Toby Ziegler, played to perfection by the great and understated character actor Richard Schiff. As the White House communications director, Toby was among President Bartlett's senior staffers, holding a position at a similar rank and importance to Josh Lyman's deputy chief of staff. When we learned that Hope Hicks, a former staffer with Ivanka Trump's fashion brand, was appointed to be Trump's communications director, Toby's old job, I was genuinely shocked, especially after Hicks confessed she knows very little about politics. While she was significantly out of her depth in every way, there was comfort in her incompetence. How much damage could she really do? At worst, she could make Trump look like an idiot in the press. In that regard, he was doing fine all by himself. If Hicks sabotaged her own boss, I was fine with that. However, I had no idea she'd involve herself in a criminal conspiracy to obstruct justice. Today, we learned of further confirmation that Hicks apparently aided in the president's obstruction of justice in the wake of the bombshell story detailing how Don Jr., Paul Manafort, and Jared Kushner met with a fleet of Russians at Trump Tower to receive stolen documents hacked by the GRU, Russia's military intelligence agency. Trump's former White House lawyer, Mark Corallo, appeared on ABC News' The Investigation podcast and detailed how Hicks, with the president in the room, appeared to orchestrate a cover-up of what really happened at Trump Tower in June 2016. If you recall, Trump himself allegedly dictated a White House statement falsely claiming the meeting was about reopening Russia for adoptions. This is a big chunk of text, but I urge you to follow every word of Mark Corallo's description of what happened that day. And I just pointed out that the statement that they put out on Air Force One, or from Air Force One, was inaccurate, that this was not going to go away. And because it was an accurate and it, an inaccurate statement, it was only going to inflame the story over the next few days. And eventually, the New York Times and every other you know, media outlet was going to get the truth. And then they were going to look, well, the way they did. Phew. And so I pointed out that, that the statement was inaccurate and that there were documents that I, under, that, I, that I understood. There were documents that would prove that. Hope Hicks replied to me when I, when I said, look, there are, you know, there are documents. She said, well, nobody's ever going to see those documents. Which, you know, made my 
throat dry up immediately. And, I'm like, you know, like, and, I, and I just, at that point, I just said, Mr. President, I, we can't talk about this anymore. You got to talk to your lawyers. Um, and for me, it was just the fact that she was even, A, that you would say something like that in the presence of the President of the United States, that you would not be aware that that could be construed as obstruction, right? The, the threat to withhold documents, like, what does that mean? There's, no one's ever going to see them. What, are you going to destroy them? She the showed a complete lack of understanding of the situation. It was in over her head. Corolla went on to say that while there apparently wasn't criminal intent, this could become an issue in terms of an impeachable offense. He also recounted an exchange while being interviewed by Mueller's people in which prosecutors told him Hicks denied she said any such thing. Quote, they wanted to know and they asked me and they said, well, you know, Miss Hicks says that didn't happen. And they asked me how sure I was. And I said, 100%. You know, I mean, look, this was, you know, again, I've used the word reckless over and over again. It was reckless, unquote. So within earshot of the president, Hicks seemed to suggest the documentation linked to the Trump Tower meeting would be concealed from investigators and therefore the American people. If that wasn't awful enough, Corallo suggests Hicks lied to the special counsel, which is a felony. Corallo concluded by insisting that the president should immediately declassify the Mueller report and order its release as is. But as we all know, that's not going to happen. In fact, the exact opposite is happening. In addition to Attorney General Bill Barr's hastily written four-page summary of a report estimated to be in the hundreds, if not thousands of pages, a summary written in a single Saturday, by the way, we learned Wednesday that not only will Barr hand over the report to the White House so Trump can remove anything he'd like to remove, claiming executive privilege, but Barr will present to Congress another summary rather than the actual report. This is confoundingly outrageous. Given the behavior of the White House and its Justice Department this week, in addition to the nearly 10,000 lies by the president since taking office, and on top of a decades-long record of Trump corruption, the only conclusion we can draw by this activity is that a cover-up is underway. It seems like we're more likely to see Trump's mysterious Comey tapes before we ever see the Mueller report. Likewise, Barr's decision to unilaterally rule that the evidence of obstruction in the report doesn't rise to a criminal offense seems suspicious, given Barr's justification that there was no underlying crime to cover up, that there wasn't a conspiracy to work with the Russian government as it attacked the election. But anyone with even a vague sense of logic knows there are myriad reasons for criminals to obstruct justice. Trump could have been motivated by politics. He could have been motivated by loyalty to Mike Flynn. He could have been motivated by a hatred of federal law enforcement. Strange, too, that Barr insisted that Mueller didn't draw any conclusions, yet Mueller concluded there was apparently no conspiracy about the election attack. Strange, too, that Barr didn't mention a word about the counterintelligence side of the Mueller probe involving Trump's business relationships with Russia and whether he's compromised. Strange that Barr was only the AG for 36 days before Mueller was suddenly, poof, finished. Meanwhile, as we speak, it's possible Trump has a copy of the Mueller report and is frantically redacting entire sections that make him look like the Russian toady he is. Until we see the report and until our suspicions are either confirmed or debunked, we need to assume that Trump is being Trump, that Trump is busily covering up his mess. We as American citizens should never stop asking the question, why?
not until we know the full truth. I'm Bob Seska for Buzz Burbank News and Comment. Thanks, Bob. Get more of Bob with a subscription at patreon.com slash Show or Tuesdays and Thursdays at realmnetwork.com. Bob will be back with a fresh show this afternoon. I join Bob on his show every Tuesday. Republicans were right to object to former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server for State Department business. Using private email for public business is prohibited for security reasons and because official communications must be recorded for history. That's why it all has to go through government channels. For years, instead of defending Trump on a particular issue, his supporters would often invoke butter emails, referring to Clinton's email practices. Butter emails, it became known. Lock her up, they chanted. And yet the same can now be said about Ivanka Trump, the president's daughter, who's not only used private emails for government business, she's conducted some official business through WhatsApp, which disposes of messages after 30 days. It's an app that's banned in the White House, but House Oversight Committee Chairman Elijah Cummings says Ivanka continues to use WhatsApp, as does her husband, fellow White House advisor Jared Kushner, who's even used it to chat with foreign leaders. The White House is refusing to give Cummings the information he's requested, including the number of times WhatsApp and private emails have been used for government work. So Cummings is now threatening to subpoena that information, setting up another congressional court fight with the White House. The number of gun-related deaths among school kids in the U.S. is growing at alarming rates. University researchers in Florida report that in 2017, gun violence killed more 5- to 18-year-olds than it did police or active-duty military combined by nearly a 1,000. Only 5% of the child gun deaths were accidental. Nearly a third were suicides. The wounds were ripped open in Florida, where two students who survived that gun massacre took their own lives, a senior and a sophomore. A girl named Sydney had been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress syndrome and developed a fear of being in a classroom. She also is said to have suffered survivor's guilt. Why my best friend and not me? There had been suicides after the Columbine gun massacre as well. Experts say the second year is the hardest after a trauma as emotional support from others begins to fade. The number for the National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 800-273-8255. For the past several years, Jeremy Richmond has worked to keep other families from going through what he and his wife went through. Six years ago, they lost their daughter, Aviel, in the Sandy Hook Elementary School gun massacre. Jeremy and his wife Jennifer set up the Aviel Foundation to support research into brain abnormalities associated with violent behavior. He preached education about mental health, and he preached compassion. This past week, he was in Florida, home of the gun massacre at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. He was one of the targets of a conspiracy theory that the massacre never happened and that the grieving parents were actors. Jeremy and his wife were part of the lawsuit against the chief spreader of that theory, InfoWars' Alex Jones. And this week, Jeremy Richmond took his own life in the building that houses the Aviel Foundation at just 49 years of age. We have not yet heard the contents of the note he left behind. It reopened the wounds inflicted six years ago in the Newtown Massacre. Jeremy's was the third suicide in two weeks among the survivors of mass shootings in schools. In Connecticut and Florida, dozens of parents, teachers, mental health experts, and law enforcement have held emergency meetings to plan ways to prevent 
other suicides. In Indiana, teachers were shot with plastic bullets by local sheriff's officers during an active shooter training exercise. The teachers' union isn't happy about this, and neither are the teachers who got welts and bruises and actually shed blood in this exercise that has become common at schools across the country. The teachers say they were shot execution style. They were terrified. Some of them were screaming. They say the officers instructed them not to tell anyone what had happened. State lawmakers have threatened to step in, but local officials say they'll take it from here. The state's Senate Education Committee will proceed on this next week anyway. But U.S. Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts has said no to a request by gun groups to pause the Trump administration's ban on bump stocks. The bump stock ban is on. Bump stocks make semi-automatic rifles fire nearly as rapidly as a machine gun. They were used in the massacre on the Las Vegas Strip 18 months ago, killing 58 people and wounding hundreds of others. The Trump administration policy gives bump stock owners 90 days to destroy the ones they have or turn them in. Americans own a half million bump stocks. A former East Pittsburgh police officer who shot to death an unarmed teenager, Antoine Rose, has been acquitted after initially being charged with criminal homicide. Former officer Michael Rosfeld fired at the 17-year-old as he and another teen ran from their car after it had been stopped during the investigation of a drive-by shooting. It would be discovered later there were guns in that car, but Antoine Rose II was unarmed as he fled on foot. Under Pennsylvania law, an officer has a lot of leeway in these situations, including the option of deadly force if the officer has reason to believe the fleeing suspect is a danger to himself or others. This week, a mixed-race jury found the officer not guilty on charges of first- and third-degree murder, as well as charges of voluntary and involuntary manslaughter. The protest outside the courthouse was much smaller, milder, and shorter than those that followed Antoine's killing last year. The DA who charged the cop with murder says he respectfully disagrees with the verdict, but that the people have spoken. The DA says he will keep pressing charges where he believes it's appropriate. It's been more than 45 years since North Carolina enacted a law that bans abortions after the 20th week of pregnancy. That law stood as long as it did because it made liberal exemptions for medical concerns. But after Republicans removed some of those exemptions in 2015, abortion rights groups filed lawsuits to overturn the entire law. This week, they won in a U.S. District Court. And although the judge's ruling will be appealed, he wrote in his decision that any abortion law based on a number of weeks or a specific event in the pregnancy timeline have already been ruled unconstitutional grounds for an anti-abortion law. And despite this ruling, it has been a banner year for anti-abortion forces. Mississippi's Republican governors just signed into law a bill that outlaws abortion once a fetal heartbeat is detected. That would ban all abortions after just six weeks of fertilization, the only exception being to save the mother's life. It is the most severe anti-abortion law in the nation. A heartbeat bill was also quickly blocked in Kentucky earlier this month. Eleven states, including big states like Texas and Florida, are considering fetal heartbeat legislation. All are likely to be struck down, wasting taxpayer money in the process. But it's a long game nationwide for anti-abortion forces, 
hoping all these court fights will push the decision to a decidedly conservative Supreme Court in an effort to overturn the Roe v. Wade decision that legalized abortion in the U.S. Now, the president defied his own advisors again this past week with another sudden surprise decision to end the newest and biggest sanctions on North Korea. Trump's move is opposed by his own Treasury Department and his own national security advisors. It was another policy set by tweet. And it threw the highest echelons of our government into confusion, especially those trying to pressure North Korea to return to the nuclear weapons bargaining table. The reason given by presidential spokeswoman Sarah Huckabee Sanders, quote, President Trump likes Chairman Kim and doesn't think these sanctions will be necessary. Last month, Trump defended Kim and the death of an American college student, Otto Warmbier, who, who was returned to the U.S. to die after being tortured by Kim's regime. The four-year drive to free parts of Syria held by ISIS ended this week. Children and the wives of terrorists fled into the desert by the tens of thousands in recent weeks as the final 700 holdouts fought to their finish. At one time, ISIS controlled 75% of Syria's cotton crop, 40% of its wheat, and more than half its barley. ISIS had captured oil fields, hydroelectric power plants, and more. It imposed taxes that brought it billions of dollars, making ISIS the richest terror group in the world. Today, the ISIS caliphate control of Syria is over, but ISIS is still there. In an interview with the Christian Broadcasting Network this week, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said he believes President Trump may have been sent by God to rescue the Jewish people from Iran, to rescue the Jewish people like the biblical figure Esther. Pompeo's comments came after Trump had officially recognized the Golan Heights as Israel's property and stepped up sanctions against Iran. Trump also won praise for his overwhelming support for Israel in the Pennsylvania state legislature, where neither Iran nor Israel were being discussed. Republican State Representative Stephanie Borowitz used her time to deliver a prayer, nearly two minutes long, in which she praised President Trump for his support of Israel and in the process included the word Jesus 13 times, God six times, Lord six times as well, the great I am, and the one who's coming back again, the one who came, died, and rose again on the third day. Finally, as the prayer reached its tent revival apex, another lawmaker shouted objections and a fellow Republican nudged Borowitz's elbow to get her to stop. Soon afterwards, she did, having accomplished her mission, which had less to do with Trump and Israel, as it did with the swearing-in of the Pennsylvania House's first Muslim congresswoman. That's what the Christian prayer was all about. In Charlottesville, North Carolina, the neo-Nazi who rammed his car into a crowd killing protester Heather Heyer is pleading guilty to federal hate crime charges. Facing 30 indictments, he pleaded guilty to all but one of them on the promise that prosecutors would not seek the death penalty in this case as they are entitled to do. The 21-year-old wannabe Nazi will hear his sentence on July 3rd. Global warming fight heats up, scientists discover the tractor beam, Jesse Smollett goes free, and the ghost in the grocery in the final segment, up next. 
thank you for using that link at buzzburbank.com for all your shopping year-round at school, home, and work. Shopping through my Amazon link helps keep this newscast going and free for the listening. Just go to buzzburbank.com and click on the Amazon logo. You'll land on your usual Amazon page, which you can then bookmark to replace your old shopping bookmark. And once you've done that, I get a small commission from Amazon for every purchase you make, so it really helps power this free weekly report. On your desktop browser, that Amazon logo's in the upper right corner at buzzburbank.com. On your phone, it's just under the title Buzzburbank News and Comment. If you'd rather not use my Amazon link, then please support this free and independent reporting through the PayPal Donate button. Thank you for all these things and for spreading the word about this effort. American farmers, many of them Trump voters, are losing their farms to the devastating floods that swept through Iowa and Nebraska this month. The tariff hikes were a hard punch to the gut. The floods may be the death blow. One Iowa farmer watched his silo bust open in the floodwaters and the harvested soybeans float away in contaminated water. Over 100,000 acres of Iowa farmland underwater. Incredible rain swept across the Midwest a couple of weeks ago in what was called a bomb cyclone, part of the extreme weather we're seeing thanks to man-made global warming. Emergencies were declared in Wisconsin, Iowa, Nebraska, and Missouri. There were evacuations in Kansas, while flooding was expected in Minnesota and the Dakotas. The National Weather Service predicted the flooding would last into May. Americans are deeply concerned about global warming. Two-thirds of us believe that it is caused by human activity, according to a new Gallup poll. Two-thirds of us believe it is real. And six in ten of us believe it's already here, with another 13% saying they'll see it in their lifetimes. About 45% say they are very worried about the planet and expected global warming to be a serious threat within their lifetimes. But nearly a third of us are on the fence about climate change, and one in five just isn't buying it. Gallup found the skeptics are mostly Republicans. In the meantime, America's coal-fired power plants belched out more CO2 than ever last year, and the fourth biggest amount in recorded history. It is that carbon dioxide that eats away at the ozone layer of our atmosphere that filters the rays of the sun. Around the world last year, the demand for energy grew by nearly 2.5%, the most rapid increase in years. To meet the demand, power providers around the world turned to gas and coal. We burned over 33 billion tons of the stuff last year, pushing carbon emissions up by nearly 2% at a time scientists say we should be making drastic cuts. Also hanging in the air, the question of whether the nations that signed the Paris Climate Accord will be able to live up to that agreement. Stanford Earth Science Professor Rob Jackson says, We are in deep trouble. The climate consequences are catastrophic, adding, I don't use a word like that very often. We are headed for disaster, he says, and nobody seems to be able to slow things down. And that brings us to the Green New Deal. It's a bill, but not a policy. The Green New Deal is a statement of principles, the setting of a goal to fix the environment and the economy at the same time, a new deal to create jobs in alternative energy. It sets the ambitious goal of converting 100% of the power demand in the U.S. to be clean and renewable with no emissions within 10 years. It would upgrade existing buildings and expand high-speed rail to the point of eliminating the need for most air travel. 
It shoots for a million new jobs with guaranteed health care and a guaranteed minimum wage, along with family and medical leave, paid vacations, and retirement security. But the Green New Deal also goes off its own rails, including reparations for Native and African and Asian Americans whose families have been wronged by the government and others. Republicans mock the plan, but even House Speaker Nancy Pelosi will not put it up for a vote because she believes it will not pass. Republican Majority Leader Mitch McConnell knew it wouldn't pass the Senate, which is why he put the Green New Deal resolution up for a vote this week to try to humiliate it and the Democrats it rode in on. He calls the Green New Deal a socialist daydream. But even Pelosi's strategy angers the new progressives on Capitol Hill who believe, like the scientists, that drastic action is needed now. Americans are deeply concerned about global warming, and many are demanding immediate action regardless of what Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, or Democrats, including Nancy Pelosi, have to say. FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, says it has accidentally shared the personal and banking information of two and a half million disaster survivors in the U.S. FEMA describes it as a major privacy incident. Sensitive information was released on the victims of Hurricanes Harvey, Irma, and Maria, and from the victims of 2017's California wildfires. FEMA officials say the agency accidentally released too much information to one of its contractors. Nearly 2 million people had their banking information exposed as well as their addresses. So far, no reports of identity theft from this breach. Likewise, Facebook accidentally exposed millions of account passwords, storing them without encryption in plain text in a place that is searchable online. At a minimum, thousands of Facebook employees had access to the site. Facebook says it found the problem in January during a routine security review. OxyContin maker Purdue Pharma and its owners, the Sackler family, have agreed to pay $270 million to avoid an ugly court trial in which the company is accused of intentionally feeding the nation's opioid addiction. That addiction has killed nearly a quarter million Americans in the past 20 years. The trial was to take place in Oklahoma, which finds itself at the heart of the nation's opioid crisis. But Massachusetts was also taking on the company, accusing the Sacklers specifically of directing efforts to mislead doctors and the public about the potency and the addictive nature of their painkiller. These are the same Sacklers who've been quite generous with some of their billions, but museums and cultural institutions around the world have now stopped taking donations from the Sacklers and are looking for legal ways to scrape that name off their buildings. Purdue Pharma has filed for bankruptcy. Of that $270 million settlement, nearly half will go to a new addiction treatment center at Oklahoma State University in Tulsa. The Sacklers are now ordered to donate another $75 million to that center over the next five years. $20 million will go to addiction medications. $13 million will reimburse cities and counties for the emergency treatments they were forced to deliver on the taxpayer's dime. And $60 million covers the lawyer fees and court costs. There's blood in the water as Johnson & Johnson prepares to go to trial in May over its fentanyl skin patch. The measles outbreak in Rockland County, New York, started in October. Steps were taken. An executive order kept nearly 6,000 unvaccinated kids out of school. In the six months that followed, 17,000 kids got vaccinated. 
Doctors, community leaders, and rabbis joined forces to urge the public to get vaccinated. And none of that was enough. This week, the county executive declared a state of emergency in Rockland County, New York, that bans unvaccinated minors from public places. The virus hangs in the air for up to two hours, and among unvaccinated people, the risk of infection is 90%. Two shots of the MMR vaccine make it 97% effective against measles. The fine for parents in Rockland County, New York, would be up to six months in jail, or a fine of up to $500 or both, if they allow their unvaxxed kids to venture into public places, including supermarkets and shopping centers. No one would ask to see papers, says the Rockland County executive, but he says those in public known to be unvaccinated are subject to criminal charges. Desperate times have led to desperate measures for a disease that was virtually wiped out in the U.S. in the year 2000. There have been well over 300 cases nationwide just so far this year, with the blame pointed squarely at the anti-vax movement, which through its untrue conspiracy theories has weakened the immunity of the entire population. There are, of course, protests about the firmness of that New York executive order banning unvaxxed kids from the mall and talk of lawsuits. The Republican governor of Kentucky is married with children, nine children. Matt and Glenna Bevan have nine children, and he wanted to make sure all his kids were protected against chickenpox. So despite the risk of killing any or all of them, he sent all his kids to a pox party to get intentionally infected. Quoting Kentucky's chief executive, they got the chicken pox on purpose because we found a neighbor that had it and I went and made sure every one of my kids was exposed to it. And they got it. The governor said this on the radio just days after a chicken pox outbreak at a Catholic school in Walton, Kentucky. Governor Bevan said vaccinations are fine for some people, but, quote, this is America. The federal government should not be forcing this on people. Last night, a federal jury awarded a California cancer patient $80 million from Monsanto, the maker of the weed killer Roundup. Edwin Hardiman has non-Hodgkin lymphoma after his exposure to Roundup, using it on his lawn for 26 years. Maker Monsanto is now owned by Bayer. This week's recall specials of the week include 69,000 pounds of Tyson frozen chicken strips that might contain pieces of metal and avocados from the Henry Avocado Corporation. Possible listeria contamination is reason not to eat Henry avocados with bravocado stickers. If you have an extra spacesuit laying around in a medium, contact NASA. The plans for the first all-female spacewalk tomorrow fell through earlier this week, mostly because of a shortage of spacesuits that fit. Astronaut Anne McLean trained in both a medium and a large, but chose the large because astronauts do grow up to two inches taller in low gravity. Now, after her first spacewalk, she says the medium is a better fit, and there isn't one available. Anne says she's disappointed she won't be able to join fellow astronaut Christina Koch tomorrow in the big step for womankind that has now been delayed. From our How Cool Is This department, physicists at Caltech have developed a method for levitating and propelling objects using nothing but light waves. 
Think Star Trek tractor beam. It also means a spacecraft could perhaps propel itself on light waves, travel very, very fast, and visit planets outside our solar system. The technology is more of an embryo right now than an infant. So far, it only works with very small objects over very short distances. Yeah, but that's how it starts, right? Here on Earth, it'll take great strength to lift the baby just born in Elmira, New York. It took Joy Buckley years to get pregnant, and it appeared as though she could never conceive naturally. But once she did, she gave birth a little over two years ago to an 11-pound baby boy. This week, Joy gave that boy a big sister, born by C-section at 15 pounds, 15 ounces, nearly 16. Quoting Joy, I knew she was going to be big, but I didn't anticipate no 15-pound baby. None of us do, usually. In the entire state of New York, it's a new record. The International Olympic Committee has announced it's considering adding breakdancing, skateboarding, and climbing as events in the upcoming Summer Olympics in Paris. CBD at CVS. The nationwide drugstore chain will start selling external-use CBD in 800 stores in Alabama, California, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Maryland, and Tennessee. The products include cream, sprays, roll-ons, lotions, and salves, nothing to be taken internally. Besides, this is hemp CBD, meaning it is from hemp, not marijuana, and contains no discernible amount of the high-inducing THC. On CNBC, the CEO of CVS said he sees CBD as something his customers want, but added, we're going to walk slowly. The city of Chicago is considering lawsuits against actor Jesse Smollett, who cost that city a bundle investigating his fake report of a violent, racist, homophobic, MAGA-inspired attack. When the ruse to raise his profile and his salary were exposed, Chicago police turned their investigation to Smollett, and charged him with 16 felonies. The Chicago DA, who says she does not think Smollett is innocent, has now dropped all of those charges and sealed the case files, angering both the police chief and the mayor. They're accusing the DA of delivering celebrity justice. Court papers have been filed to see what deals were made with Smollett and that pair of brothers who said they helped stage the fake attack. The police superintendent, meanwhile, has been accused of overplaying his hand, going on Good Morning America to prosecute Smollett in the court of public opinion, thereby poisoning any jury pool. Jordan Peele knows how to make movies, and he knows how to make money, and that has made him very important in Hollywood. After winning an Oscar for his screenwriting for Get Out, Jordan Peele turned to making an outright horror movie. In its opening week, Us has sold more than $70 million worth of tickets in the U.S. and Canada, double the size of the Get Out opening, and three times more money than it cost to make the film. Hollywood is now very interested in Jordan Peele, whose take on the classic Twilight Zone TV series begins soon. But the female-led Captain Marvel made marvelous money in its third week at $35 million. For previews, theaters, tickets, and showtimes, please go through my Fandango link at buzzburbank.com. A new beer hits the market next month, which you could also use to develop Super 8 film. Some folks from the Dogfish Head Craft Brewery in Delaware were chatting with some folks from Kodak and learned that 
By adding the acidic vitamin C to beer, beer becomes a film-developing agent. The brewer says he'll travel this summer with a Super 8 movie camera and develop that film in his new Super 8 beer. It's also made with a little pear, mango, berries, kiwi, and salt. In Nebraska, where they're cleaning up some of the flooded areas, two men found a black box in a field. The men were trudging back toward the highway after some flood cleanup work. The box was a small black refrigerator, and the fridge was full of ice-cold beer, bud lights, and bush lights. It had been carried there by the now-receded Platte River near Schuyler, Nebraska. Kyle Simpson and Galen Stouffer are calling it the Magic Fridge. They have now returned the fridge to its rightful owner. How did they know? They went by some burn marks on the side of the fridge from a cabin fire and the ratio of bush to bud inside. Florida can top that naturally. The joint that distills monkey shoulder whiskey is touring Florida in a vehicle that was originally a concrete mixer. Instead of the usual barrel, however, a brushed stainless steel martini shaker of enormous proportions sits on the truck. Inside, a monkey shoulder cocktail touring the Orlando area with small samples for those who dare. Besides the hooch, the drink contains fresh lemon juice, mint simple syrup, quinoa, and mint leaves. 21-year-old Christopher Monteliano of Maui, Hawaii, loves his sparkling cold Pepsis. On one occasion, Chris and his cousin stole a car so they could go buy some sparkling ice-cold Pepsi-Cola. His cousin let him drive, even though Chris doesn't have a license. They got stopped. Is it because the soda made you do it? asked the judge. The judge recommended that during his probation, Chris not have any more ice-cold Pepsis for the next four years. Chris promised the judge he would never steal a car again. He'll also work community service and pay a $100 fine. In Vermont, someone is stealing the sap used to make our maple syrup. It's sugaring season, and Fred Hopkins tells the local TV someone took 140 of his sap-collecting buckets. That's a mighty blow to a man who makes award-winning syrup in his home in St. Albans, Vermont. The empty buckets were found near a cemetery. Local police are on the case. Uh, over by the frozen peas. That's where a shopper says they spotted a ghost in one of New England's market basket supermarkets. Quoting this anonymous shopper, an old Victorian-era woman in her nightgown near the frozen peas. End quote. Some Weisenheimer at corporate explained there is no ghost, but if there were, she'd be there for, quote, our Victorian-era prices. At a grocery store in Mineola, Long Island, New York, a woman got 20 cents off on a bottle of Crisco cooking oil. To save that 20 cents, she handed the cashier a coupon that was issued in 1983. And sure enough, it had no expiration date. The manager of the North Shore Farms store says he'll send it to Procter & Gamble and see if they'll honor it. P&G would likely be glad to pay 20 cents for a valid coupon used this week that had been printed 36 years ago. A court in Australia must now decide if flatulence can be used as a kind of weapon to bully someone. A former employee of a construction engineering company filed suit two years ago against the company, accusing his supervisor of regularly, intentionally aiming gas in his direction. 
56-year-old David Hinks says, quote, he would come into the room, which was small and had no windows. He would do this five or six times a day. That was just part of the bullying David says he endured at the company, including intimidating phone calls. So was David the target of illegal bullying with weaponized gas? The Court of Appeal in Victoria, Australia, hands down its verdict tomorrow. A quicker but illegal form of justice came at a train station in downtown Berlin. A 61-year-old man was smoking in a no-smoking area when an 81-year-old man hit him in the face with a wooden board, a picket from a fence. The 81-year-old told police he had the fence picket handy because he was on his way to his garden. Passengers found themselves at the wrong airport this week when their British Airways flight landed them in Scotland. The pilots were supposed to have taken the plane to Dusseldorf, Germany, not Edinburgh, Scotland. It wasn't just the wrong airport, it was the wrong country. These were subcontractors from a firm hired to fly on behalf of British Airways, and they had filed the wrong flight plan. After refueling and a company apology for the, quote, obvious unfortunate mix-up, the passengers were flown straight to Dusseldorf. And through the air flew some brazen thieves in Bloomington, Indiana, who had stolen a hot air balloon. It turned up, of course, in Florida, being used in a hot air balloon festival at the Florida Horse Park near a community called The Villages. Deputies in Marion County, Florida, deflated the balloon, packed it up, and sent it back to its rightful owner in Indiana. He is so glad to have it back safely, after being stolen by a fellow balloonist, obviously, he's chosen not to press charges against the man police apprehended. The sheriff's office says that in 175 years of law enforcement, this was their first stolen balloon recovery. And finally, September has proven to be too chilly a time of year for Philadelphia's annual nude bike ride, so this year they'll do it when it's really too hot to wear clothing. The nude bike ride returns to Philly this year in August when the weather and the bicycle seats will be warmer. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thanks for listening and for supporting this free news at buzzburbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank news and comment. The preceding presentation was brought to you by... The Realm Network.